Warning. Please note that this podcast contains strong language and touches on many topics that may not be considered appropriate for a work environment. If you choose to listen to this podcast where you can be overheard, we are not responsible for the consequences of your decision. You've been warned. social distance, but when we're in your ears, we are at your home. My name is Bill. And I'm Noelle, and I'm real fucking tired. And we're all real fucking tired, but we all have next scrum zone. Ugh. Fuck. This last week has been a rough year. The last three days have been a rough fucking year. Oh my god. So... Before we go into the topic, we just want to break down a few things that's going through. I'm going to get the business out of the way. Um, website, www.xchromosomepodcast.com. Oh, just a note, this is going to be an unedited podcast, so you might hear typing in the background or anything like that, but because of everything going out, I want to push this out right away, so I'm not going to be doing any editing except for, like, shortening the length of time in between pauses, but anyway. We, yeah, we know, you're bored. Here's some more stuff to shove in your ear holes. Yes, that's pretty much what it is. We are here to shove stuff in your ear holes. So, xchromosomepodcast.com. That has links to all of our social media. I'm going to throw the Discord link up there in the social media aspect in the future. So, you can join us on Discord, too. So, we have Facebook. We have Twitter. We have Instagram. We have everything but TikTok and Snapchat because... We're not going to do either of those. I'm old and fuck, well, and, fuck and, TikTok and all because they did some shady, super shady shit recently. Basically, if you're ugly, you're poor. You don't need to be featured. Um, so fuck them. And the snaps, no. No premium snaps from We All Have an Extra Chromosome. <laughs> I mean, if you want premium snaps, we can do that. <laughs> but you gotta be willing to pay for it. Like I yeah, said, I'm fucking exhausted. Because, also, on the website, is links to things such as direct payment, if you want to give us a one-time donation. Also, links to our Patreon, which, once again, thank you, Patreon subscribers. You're helping us try to live a better life by helping other people get the information they need for a better life. Yes. And also, um... You help us do things like afford Washington Post subscriptions because sometimes the stuff we want to look at does not have anything to do with the current global pandemic and therefore is behind a paywall. Yep. Paywalls suck. You guys are helping us bring them down and helping us support other people in the process, too. Um, we gave a, we're giving, giving also some other Patreon stuff to help our podcast out. Um, one of the things is to help out with Cray, even though we fight the bots there's little bonuses that'll help us with getting this stuff out and 
also with Alpha Riff, who gives us our music. So we're giving him a couple of bucks when he can. So thank you. Yeah. Um, a lot of our people, um, a lot of, if you go through our first season and just go through all the links in the show notes on our first season, those people are impacted by this and they're potentially not in a position to get unemployment or get help. Um, you know, if they're a small pub, if they're a small, if they're a small business, they can get a loan, but loans you have to pay back. Uh, yep. So go through, check our show notes, re- listen to the shows, throw money at the people we've had on as guests, um, especially Alpha Riff, because uh, he's having his entire livelihood canceled in real time. And while I love his Instagram, it's full of Pokemon Sword and Shield and Breath of the Wild playthrough commentary. And it's been a fucking delight. Thank you, sir, for brightening my day. Um, he's still got bills. Yep. So, some of us are lucky that we're able to work remotely, and we're still getting uh, having having worked in a paycheck. Other people are not. I'm seeing people that I know that are losing their livelihoods because of this plague. Act, this plague, basically, that's what it is. <laughs> Uh, girl who does my hair. If you've looked at pictures of me, um, I don't know if we have a current one on the blog or the Patreon, but girl who does my hair. She is a single owner operator of a solo salon loft. She is, and she lives alone. So she is all the income. She had to close her salon for her own safety because she's also not necessarily the most healthy person. So she's screwed. <laughs> um, Unless we can get people who are 1099 some relief as well. Um, the stimulus package is probably not going to help her a ton unless there's a fat load of cash in there uh, to help her carry through to when um, the governor says that salons can still be, can open back up. Yeah, there's rumors of what the next third package of the stimulus package is going to be. Um, while I would like personally like a fat stack of cash... Um, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, so we're not going to count on that money. Granted, for my household, it would be a total if their numbers are throwing out around uh, manifest into reality. If they're throwing around a grand per adult. Um, that's a huge windfall for us, and that will actually help us get by because um, there's four adults here. But I'm not holding my breath. And $1,000 doesn't go very far when you live by yourself and you still have to pay all your rent and utilities. And you don't have uh, furlough pay or sick time or anything other than the work of your hands to have some, to let you make money. Some states are already opening up unemployment for those that are affected without skipping the first with skipping the first week because... In many states, your first week of unemployment, you don't get paid. Um, yeah. Uh, I think most states that are lock, as locked down as Ohio is or as close to lockdown as Ohio are waiving unemployment. But if you are self-employed, guess who doesn't get unemployment? People are self-employed. Yeah. If, uh, so um, all the people who are going to be in WrestleMania, they're not getting paid. They're all self-employed. Um. The wrestlers and the people that are working in WrestleMania themselves through the WWE will be getting paid 
Because, oh, they will? Because the WWE recently announced that while WrestleMania is not going to be happening at Raymond James Stadium, they are going to be doing a two-day WrestleMania event at the WWE Performance Center. So oh, well. the wrestlers and the people that are cameramen and the technical people and those that work for the WWE will get paid for the event. They're just not going to make their massive windfall about that. On top of this, speaking of wrestling and WrestleMania, there was a big issue that was going on because with WrestleMania weekend, WrestleMania weekend, it doesn't just put money in the WWE coffers. Usually what will happen is the independent promotions will go through and do like a lot of independent shows around WrestleMania weekend to basically gain money. It's their big events, their other conventions and things like that. Um, most recently, there was an issue that WrestleCon, which was having like uh, deposits left with the Marriott and various other places, they weren't going to get their deposit back because they had to cancel. And basically, the governor had to go through and push through like if we, people you have to cancel because of the virus, you need to pay people their deposits back. But the Marriott was going to hold on to their that deposit with their dying breath. And that's a bunch of bullshit. Um, this isn't the time to be pinching every single penny you have. People are scared. People are not just scared about dying because of being sick. People are being are scared because they're afraid that they're going to become homeless. Yeah, there's big scares. Um, just from and I swear, guys, this is not what the podcast is going to be about. Um, the whole time because you hear enough of this on the news. We'll get to some cool shit to brighten your day here in just a second. But we have to get this shit out of our system. Yeah, uh, this may even get cut and released separately, just so we're like, here's all the downer stuff. You can skip it. <laughs> um, you Sally Skippers don't have to keep hitting the 15 second forward button. We'll just put the the, the bad news over here in, um, in the show. At a time we talk about coronavirus here, we end here, so you can skip to this part. Yes, uh, just for your safety. Um, also, we're going to put content warnings on the show notes. By the time you get to this part of the podcast, you'll be aware that we have put content warnings about you know the, everything. Um, also, we might be talking about some violent and/or racist shit. So, yep, we have content. Beware, um, but. Um, if you didn't know before now, uh, I work as an STNA. I, I am an I am a licensed STNA in the state of Ohio, and I do home health visits, which means I'm going into people's houses to make sure they can stay home instead of being in a facility where the chance of infection is higher. Uh, so my job currently is super important because not only am I just keeping them safe in their homes, I'm keeping them away from things, away from groups. And I had a cancellation today and I'm worried about this particular one because she's 94. She's not in a great amount of help and she's kind of isolated. Um, and she's a little, little touch, little contact starved. Um, I'd go in three times a week and she'd soak her feet and I would massage her feet and ankles and lower legs her services were canceled by the family she's lived with because everybody's nervous about 
you know, the COVID-19. Um, I literally have never been cleaner in terms of the ridiculous. I mean, I was, we wash our hands pretty regularly in this profession anyway. The additional precautions we are taking to keep ourselves and our patients safe. You have no idea. Um, we're wiping down our steering wheels. We're sanitizing. We're Lysoling down the insides of our cars. We're leaving. We're only taking into the house j- what we need for the job. You know, wiping down pens, doing weird. Ex- that's part of the reason I'm exhausted is I'm spending so much work, so much energy on being ready to work. Um, I have baby wipes in the car so I can, before I go into the house or when I get back to my car, after I've already washed my hands, that I can wipe my hands down and put hand, and use hand sanitizer. This is why the next appointment. not uh, afford the shit. So seriously, call your local home health agencies, ask them what they need for supplies, ask them if they're hiring. Because we're going to need help if people don't completely cancel out, cancel all the all their cancel all their visits until we come out of quarantine. Um, because we're going to need help, and we're going to need supplies to keep our to keep our offices clean. We work out of our cars, so we we need see if they need disinfecting wipes, uh, hand sanitizer, cans of Lysol. Um, Stuff like that, just things that can be kept in the car so that people can really keep themselves clean. Um, extra pens, gloves, alcohol swabs. I don't know who's out of what because I can barely keep track of the stuff we're out of at my own office that we're being mandated to carry. Like it's you will have this in your car or else levels of things. I've been hauling around a half full bottle of borrowed hand sanitizer for a couple of days now. How can you borrow hand sanitizer? It belongs to my housemate. He had two bottles. He had just, I don't know why, he had two economy-sized bottles of hand sanitizer that he had been using, but apparently he's very fastidious, and he kept the one that's aloe-based and gave me the standard one. And I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) That'll get me through until people calm the hell down, and I can get my own comforting aloe hand sanitizer. So if you've gone off and hoarded stuff, do you really need a bunch of baby wipes? Consider donating them. Um, particularly, you know, domestic violence shelters probably needs baby wipes. Um, baby <laughs> wipes are also useful for the elderly. So check with nursing homes, check with home health a- agencies, check with MRDD uh, facilities, because a lot of us are really tiny businesses, so we don't have giant Grange accounts. Um and while we're all going through and talking about social distancing, um, check on your extro- extrovert friends, and if you can trust them to basically be quarantined and safe, as much as people are pushing the whole entire, you could be social while being online. I have a friend that is so social, they need meat space. Like, they need to be actually with people. The screens and the phone calls and things like that, it doesn't trigger their need. They're, they've been going to dark places in regards to that. So check on your extrovert friends. See what they need. See if they actually need a companion. You could six. sit six feet away from them in the living room if necessary. Six feet is not far. You could both go for a walk. Yeah. 
you're you're allowed to go outside. You just can't be next to anybody, which has been one of the hardest things about my job is because these people see me as family. The woman I'm worried about, I wish some of this physical contact she got throughout the day or throughout the week. The only like touch. Um, don't bunch up. Don't bunch up. Yeah. Um, that and she said before I left on Monday, I miss getting hugs from my grandsons. Like I said, she's 94. She's not in great health. We're in a situation where... We're going to be a bunch of touch-starved <laughs> motherfuckers. Not that. She could she could die never having hugged her grandsons again, depending on her health and how long this goes on. <sighs> the elderly could... Um, I saw a very... It was supposed to be a heartwarming story, but it's horrifying about this couple that was celebrating their 58th wedding anniversary, and she was in a facility, and he couldn't come in, and they did something through the door... One of them could die without being able to touch the other one last time. Yeah, I'm a Debbie Downer today because I'm exhausted. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, healthcare professionals and facility people who work in nursing facilities. This is what we're looking at. It's quarantine is scary and you need to fucking take it seriously so people can get one last time. And now we should probably do something happy because I'm all... So, the topic for today that we had gone through and planned is women in politics and sports. Yes. And because I am shameless and I regret nothing, I went to rejected princesses for a lot of these. Um, In fact, all of them. Some of them we didn't get to looking at more external research, but... We'll probably be doing some of that on the fly because that's the kind of life we're living now. Um, well, I want to bring but, up one that was an unrejected princess, but back to wrestling um, because it is it is historic. Um, uh, this isn't a wrestling podcast. We swear. It is not. We do swear. It just so happens that things come up with our various fandoms, and mine happens to be wrestling. Um, we will go into the, the 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 tropes of American gods for a episode, another episode. <laughs> yes. So, um, just because this wasn't one that we pulled from Drifted Princesses, uh, Nyla Rose, the first trans woman champion in a major wrestling promotion. Um, she's with All Elite Wrestling. Um, she just recently won the title about a month ago. Um, she is a badass, and she gets so much shit on Twitter because of her situation. But at the same time, I have to give her a world of credit because she told her wife, hey, I'm going to this store, and her wife turns around and looks at her and sees that she's dressed in a Fallout costume with the Fallout, like, scanner thing on her arm. <laughs> it's called a Pip-Boy. Pip-Boy, thank you. God damn it, Craig! That was the backup bot that fell asleep. Oh, stone. okay. <laughs> so, reverse Craig. God damn it! <laughs> Last Derek. week, the primary dropped. <laughs> this week, it's the backup. We cannot rely on this fucking bot. Please, God, everybody stay home so we can go back to trying to have this podcast function properly. You're putting too much load on the fucking internet. Uh, Discord, it, what, it had some wacky because Discord, I will give Discord credit. They're like, yeah, this is a tough time. We're going to boost everybody's 
viewership, so they could have 50 people if necessary to watch things. Uh, from 10. So, good thing, but bad thing. <laughs> um, so, that being said, uh, yeah, so, I thought that was great. She She's been taking things in stride, but um, in fact, that the person that, um, when I had you talk to my friend Trish, uh, Noel, it was mm -hmm. about her that she was helping. Cool. So, things suck, but Nyla Rose, transgender woman's champion. Awesome. Yes. I guess we'll start with sports. Um, I gotta find one week. Book. Ugh. Can you work on looking up the other two? More stuff. Um, I did. I pulled primary sources from Rejected Princesses. If you're not following that blog and throwing money at those books, please fucking do so. They're amazing. The author well, does tons of research and original illustrations that are historically accurate. Um, the one I can start with is La Jaguarina. La Jaguarina. Um, her tagline on the site is Queen of the Sword. Um, the story opens in, 18, in April 1896. Hardened military veteran U.S. Sergeant Charles Walsh in front of a crowd of 4,000 onlookers turned tail and ran. Mere minutes earlier, during a round of equestrian fencing, he'd been hit so hard he'd been nearly knocked off his horse. So hard his opponent's sword was permanently bent backwards into a U-shape. Yeah, equestrian fencing is like jousting, but with swords. This is, this is a super dumb, dangerous idea, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> um, in response, Walsh did the honorable thing, jumped from his horse, claimed that the judge was cheating, and fled the scene to the jeers of the massive crowd. Massive crowd. His opponent, opponent, a woman named La Jaguarina, Queen of the Sword, an undefeated swordmaster who later retired only because she ran out of people to fight. <laughs> had she been born 25 years later according to the u.s fencing hall of fame she might be recognized as the world's first great woman fencers she debuted in 1884 she began her career in in earnest in true ladylike fashion by publicly calling the number one broadsword master in the united states a wimp and challenging him to a duel 1884 honey no you don't sorry okay <laughs> He spouse is not actually old enough to have remembered that fight, um, but he remembers about reading about it. In a response that was a harbinger of things to come, he said he didn't want to lower himself to fight a woman, that he was very busy with things you totally couldn't understand anyway, and then promptly left town permanently. She's half Spanish, and she says, as a half Spanish woman, she cheerfully informed interviewers it was her terrifying cultural heritage to be proficient in a wide variety of bladed weaponry. She was an unrivaled master of foil, epee, saber, and knife fighting, but she excelled at equestrian fencing. And it is. It is, in fact, jousting, and but with swords. Which I, I cannot tell you how insane that is. As, you know, Areni, whose booth is within earshot of the joust, these people are in full armor. They're not, you know, in lightweight like just a breastplate shit based on the illustration you know they're in full plate they've got all the padding they're all wrapped up and the extra speed that you pick up because you're using such a shorter thing and it's got such a fine point on it physics is terrifying if you fuck up where you hit someone you are super dead so the fact that she was unrivaled at this extremely niche sport that you know women 
this is the 1800s. Women weren't allowed to exist in a way with agency, really. So just bananas. Um, it goes into, oh, there was a, um, it goes into the description of, yes, it was very dangerous. In one fight, her horse went mad with fright, ran wildly around the p- field, and repeatedly flung her in the path of her opponent's sharpened broadsword. So, Ooh. yeah, that's fun. It, later in the same fight, the horse almost ran her headlong into a stand full of petrified society women. It sounds like they hadn't actually trained the horses the way current jousting reenactors have trained them. Because these horses are freaking out. I have I have seen a, 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 a one of the jousters horses balk and not want to run and like just walk the fuck away because it's a ton of sentient being that you really don't have a lot of control over if it decides otherwise um but i have never seen them panic i've never heard of them panicking except maybe when they were very very new and they were just you know starting but not like this not in the middle of a real for realsies match um but the horse almost ran her headlong into a stand full of petrified society women. In a different fight, her opponent, a man described by newspapers as a giant, hit her so hard it caved in her face mask and gave left a scar. <laughs> Five years out, she won both those matches anyway. She was that fucking good. Was she a witcher? She was. Pro- yes. This is <laughs> this is proof. I'm saying I will call it here. This is proof. First witcher. This woman. <laughs> because she fucking owned everybody five years five years after her debut that would if you remember that was uh 1884 uh she had beaten every swordsman she could find multiple times mounted and on foot so she just whooped the shit out of everybody she ran out of opponents she took out newspaper ads offering up to five thousand dollars which in today which in at the time of the writing don't win this particular El Blago was written because I cannot find it, but it was uh, upwards of 150000 to in today's dollars as of the writing of this blog to anyone who can defeat her. $150,000. Kick my ass. <laughs> no. Um, even in her, she got married once, but it ended in divorce after several years. She modeled for a number of real-life reenactments of famous paintings. So you've probably seen her. She began acting, performed as a comedic foil in a number of plays, opened a finishing school She taught women how to, where she taught women how to fence. Even in retirement, she was a firebrand. When a rather ardent young suitor, drunk catcalling buffoon, got in her face, she, according to the Washington, D.C. Evening Star, <clears throat> who described the incident, in telegraph time, she had him by the collar and was shaking him with all the enthusiasm enthusiasm of a terrier over a newly captured rat his hat went one way and his cane went the other and his teeth played a castanet obligato to the solo of good advice that was rapidly breathed into his vibrating ears (laughs) afterwards she let him go when asked why she replied she didn't want to be she didn't want to be prosecuted for manslaughter and I just keep remembering people been bitching about women not being able to use swords in Witcher. <laughs> yes. Um, I believe this proves emphatically otherwise. Also, um, her real name was Ella Hatton. Over her career, she relayed a huge number of conflicting backstories and in interviews that she'd learned knife fighting from her mother, 
from the Roma, from the military that she grew up in Europe, in Mexico, anywhere but Ohio, which is where she's actually born. <laughs> There's just something in the dirt here that makes <laughs> badass weird people. <laughs> I mean, you go to the moon, you take up fighting everybody. Who knows? <laughs> um, Control your husband because he has to do a live stream. <laughs> Um, one scholar even believes many of her fights were fixed, which, while not impossible, would involve a great number of co-conspirators, including promoters, fighters, referees, and judges. <laughs> to say nothing of her opponent's willingness to repeatedly lose face in public by getting their asses handed to them by a woman. By a woman. They would have to become the Washington Generals. That's cold. <laughs> Perhaps the quintessential image of La Jaguarina comes from a post-retirement newspaper article that describes her fight with a bull. Time and time again, she recklessly teased the animal while expertly dodging it and ignoring the pleas of her manager to use her sword and kill it. When at the end, she gracefully bounded out of the ring, leaving the bull alive. Both her new manager and the newspaper reporter were bloodless with fright. As she dusted off and headed to her dressing room, the reporter asked her if she had been afraid. Laughingly, she cheerily replied, never was frightened in my life. <laughs> and there's a really cool picture of her. We'll provide the link to the story. Um, there's a really cool picture of her because I had photography back then, and <laughs> it's pretty awesome. She looks like she's about ready to just whoop somebody's ass. So the next one I want to go through and bring up is, while it was in the Rejected Princess's book and is no longer available on blog, um, but I was going to bring her up anyway, uh, Wil <laughs> Wilhelmina Rudolph. Okay, go for it. So... so for those that don't know the story, um, Wilhelmina Rudolph had polio. And yes. she went through, had to get treatment for the polio, kept going, kept going, kept going, and later became a winner of three Olympic gold medals in track. Um, she was hailed throughout the world as the fastest woman in history. Um, she became the first American woman to win a gold medal in the 100-meter race since Helen Stevens women in the, in the 1936 Summer Olympics. Um, and she was the first American woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympiad. So this is a case of someone that went through a bunch of shit to later overcome her disability to be able to be a recognized woman in sports. Her mom and Wilmina had to go through and make weekly bus trips to Nashville to regain the use of her leg. So, and these weren't easy trips either. So, um, looking at everything like from that, it was about a fifty mile a fifty mile trip from Clarksville to Nashville just to get these treatments once a week. So I don't know about you, but I ride the bus every day and well before recently recent events, but um I can even stand on my commute. So <laughs> after that she basically she went on tour with the as a goodwill ambassador for the US State Department, um going through and visiting places such as uh, West Africa and Ghana and things of that nature. Um, and she also attended the premiere of the United States 
Information Agency's documentary that highlighted her track career. Um, she was involved in civil rights protests in her own town, hometown of Clarksville. Um, one of the and one of the issues at this time, especially um, Olympic athletes, couldn't make money off of their abilities. So she didn't really go through and earn anything from being an athlete. It just basically helped her to gain jobs as like an elementary school teacher and things of that nature. Other than that, it was some of the, she's been inducted into several women's and sports hall of fames, black sports hall of fame in 73, uh, U.S. National Track and Field Hall of Fame in 74, U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame in 1983, National Women's Hall of Fame in 1994, National Black Sports and Entertainment Hall of Fame in 2001. Uh, the, in, the Women's Sports Foundation selected Rudolph as one of the five greatest women athletes in the United States. And um, they named an award after her, the uh, Wilma Rudolph Courage Award. It's an award presented to a female athlete who exhibits extraordinary courage in her athletic performance and demonstrates the ability to overcome adversity, make significant contributions to sports, and serve as an inspiration and role model to those who face challenges and overcomes them and strives for success at all levels. Uh, in 1999, Sports Illustrated ranked Rudolph first of its list of top 50 greatest sports figures in the 20th century from Tennessee. And um, 41st all-time. She's badass. Yep. There's badassery afoot. And it's Wilma Rudolph. Yes. I don't know who who we need to wrap up this segment with. Because um, we got a couple good couple good choices we've got uh marie marvinette and or katie sandwina because we don't want to make this a hugely long thing especially with the ranting up front um i don't know hmm. kind of excited by you know marie marvin marvin yeah I, I was just looking at that really briefly the uh, an athlete who invented the flying ambulances and won the only gold medal ever awarded by the French Academy of Sports for all sports. Sports. Yes. She won them, them for sports. <laughs> all the sports. Okay, I found something that's not in French. <laughs> so we're okay. Great. Go for it. Um, she was born February 20th in 1875 at Aurillac, France. A world-class class athlete. She won. She won. Wow. French. Google Translate. Why are you like this? <laughs> um, she won numerous prizes in swimming, fencing, shooting, ski jumping, skating, and bobsled, especially dominating the 1908-1910 season at Chamonix, France, where she won more than 20 first place awards. She was a world-class mountain climber and between 1903 and 1910 was the first woman to climb most of the peaks of the French and Swiss Alps. The French Academy of Sports gave her a medal in March of 1910. For all sports, it is the only one they ever gave for more than one sport. This is from uh, Cite Monash, edu. au, uh, Hargrave, the Pioneers, 
aviation and aero modeling, interdependent evolutions and histories. It's foreign. Just pulling up the things from Wikipedia. She, I mean, she is badass. She was a combat pilot in World War One. Yes. And was also a qualified surgical nurse. Was the first trained and certified flight nurse in the world. Um, was the third woman, woman in the world in total licensed as a pilot on November 8th, 1912. I'm assuming the number 281 is like the 281st total pilot. Uh, um, she proposed the development of fixed-wing aircraft as air ambulances to the French government as early as 1910. With the help yeah. of the Deperdussin yeah, engineer, was the, she drew up the first prototype for the first practical air ambulance. Women fucking rock. <laughs> this woman is intense. Um, in 1914, she enlisted in the French army, served on the front lines as a male infantryman, as a Red Cross nurse, and by 1915 was serving as a volunteer fly pilot flying bomber missions over Germany. Between the wars, La Fiancée du Danger worked as a war correspondent with French forces in North Africa. She also devised metal skis for air ambulances working in Morocco and Algeria, and apparently at a later date, for a time, ran a school in Morocco teaching skiing on sand dunes. With all of this activity, she found time to author and act and direct two films in 1934 and 35. She devoted the remainder of her long life to her dream of 1910, the concept of aeromedical evacuation, giving more than 6,000 conferences and seminars on the subject on at least four continents. She was co-founder of the French organization Les Amis de l'Aviation Sanitaire, Friends of Medical Aviation, and one of the leaders behind the success of the first International Congress on Medical Aviation in 1929. On January 30th, 1955, she received an award from the Fédération Nationale d'Aéronautique at the Sorbonne for her work in aviation medicine, established civil Air Ambulance Service in Morocco and was awarded the Medal de la P uh, the Medal of Peace. I'm done with French <laughs> for tonight. I'm done. And she was awarded the, the Medal of Peace of Morocco. In 1955, at the age of 80, she learned to fly a jet helicopter, flew in a U.S. jet, and reportedly broke the sound barrier, which is not verified. She died December 24th, 1963, at the age of 88, the most decorated woman in the history of France with more than 34 medals and decorations. Goddamn. Why are we not taught about this? Apparently her she had a, an Antoinette plane. I'm assuming an Antoinette is a plane because the other picture of her is with the one from the De Perdusin uh, company. So, I mean, she's just... Ha! And they tell us about, you know, boring white guys when they could be telling us about her. I'll see if I can take some stuff off on Katie Sandwina, too, since we seem to have an era. There are lots of awesome women now. Uh, we've talked about Megan Rapinoe and Simone Biles in other episodes, and we're still pretty fucking high on those amazing athletes. Yeah, I was going to go through and just mention those two, those uh, really quick because the U.S. soccer team for the women. Um, and it, it's bullshit because they're still not getting paid as much as the men. Still bullshit. They they deserve more pay. They've won more fucking tournaments. So that's some bullshit. Um, I still haven't heard any news about Simone Biles' uh, 
limit pushing amazingness being uh, allowed again. U.S. women's soccer team is um, suing, uh, which they should. Um, they set the price for ending it out of court, which is $67 million, which, yeah, I'm good with that. Um, legal filings in a lawsuit argue women's soccer players were inferior to men. Poisoning an already testing relationship with U.S. soccer. The backlash cost coach Carlos Cordero his post. Um, Carlos Cordero, and this is of March 12th, so this is recent, y'all. <laughs> um, Carlos Cordero, the president of U.S. Soccer Federation, resigned three days after the Federation argued in legal filings that indisputable science proved that the players on the World Cup winning national team were inferior to men. So, fuck that asshole. Fuck that guy, specifically. So, um... That guy. So, yeah, I saw that briefly and was like, ooh, we should put that for next week, but then I got busy at work and I couldn't get the link. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, fuck that guy in particular. All right. Um, But, yes, and um, Mary Lou Breton called... Uh, Simone Biles, the uh, the greatest gymnast ever. <laughs> I really, what else? We're done. <laughs> We're done here. Mary Lou Retton said it. It's in fact gospel truth at that point in terms of that sport. Because especially when like they're trying to go through and um, change rules because no one can top her. Uh, if you can't beat them, change the rules, the Biles, and unfair barriers for excellence in America. Basically, because she could do things such as a triple-twisting double somersault, um, it would have, it would be a low score because it was a risky move. In other words, you could do it, the rest of them can't. And if the rest of them tried, they break their necks. Yes, I mean, because Mediocre white girls can't handle it. Simone isn't allowed to do it. Uh, we've also possibly forgotten to mention Gabby Douglas, another gymnastic, another gymnast. She's the first black gymnast in Olympic history to be the individual all-around champion. Um, Alice Coachman, the 1948 London Olympic Games. She became the first black woman to win an Olympic medal in the high jump. Her winning jump clocked at clocked in at five feet six and one eighth inches. Five feet six and one eighth inches. She was a, in 1952. She was signed by the Coca-Cola Company, making her the first Black female athlete to endorse a consumer product. Althea Gibson. She picked up tennis as a teenager, and a year after she started, she won the American Tennis Association's local tournament. For ten straight years, she won the ATA's championship, which was and still is unheard of. It took a while for Gibson to play at the world championship level, simply because the sport was segregated. That's right. uh, Systemic racism, keeping down excellent people. Surprise, surprise. After former tennis tennis player Alice Marble wrote an op-ed arguing for Gibson to get to play, she was invited to the U.S. National Championships. Quote from Marble. If Althea Gibson represents a challenge to the present crop of players, then it's only fair that they meet this challenge on the courts. In 1951, she was the first black tennis player Let's let's go there again. First black tennis player ever to get invited to Wimbledon. And in 1956, she became the first black tennis player to ever win a Grand Slam at the French Open. And then we talked about 
we talked about Wil Wilma Rudolph. I'm pulling this from a Refinery29 article. I think Debbie, we're looking at the same article, too. <laughs> uh, Debbie Thomas, who uh, she wore it. She challenged the norms of figure skating by wearing a black unitard at the Olympics, which the International Skating Union banned. In 1986, she became the first black woman to win a U.S. figure skating championship title. And in 1988, she was the first black woman to take home a medal for the United States at the Winter Olympics. She often faced discrimination from judges in the media who characterized her as angry and overly competitive, which they still do. Serena Williams, Venus Williams, get it all the time. So. There's, we're going to share this article. Um, also, Cheryl Swoops, the first woman signed, first player signed to the WNBA back in 1996. Um, she is a four-time WNBA champ championship. Um, she took home three gold medals at the Olympics in 1996, 2000, and 2004. Lila Ali, the daughter of boxing legend Muhammad Ali. Um, yes. Retired in 2007 with a 24-0 record. Because unlike Tom Brady, she's perfect. <laughs> I <laughs> and flawless. I mean, I'll and, say it. And she's been knocking out white guys on whose line is it anyway? After she took over from Drew Carey. <laughs> I she is incredible. But uh, Simone Manuel, she made history when she became the first African-American female swimmer to win the gold in the 100-meter free. I believe last year we talked about um, why that was such a historic and historic thing. And it's because of the rampant segregation that has generally kept black people out of swimming. Uh, it's because, you know, it's real hard for generations to, to build up a competitive name in a sport when you're not allowed in the water at all. We spoke about Dorothy Dandridge last week that they went through and drained a whole entire pool because she stuck her yeah. toe in it. Yes. So, yeah. Um, We're going to share this Refinery29 article too because it gets into famous people that, you know, are readily known. Um, and a little bit more on the current side that are breaking history every day. Yes. And now for the politics. We're going to come all the way back around, around to politics. And we're going to start again. Thank you so much for reject two rejected princesses. Please toss them some coins because it's really an amazing blog. And because we're all trapped inside. Well, you're all trapped inside. I still have to work. It'll give you some cool shit to read. Um, we've got Constance. Markovitz, who is a socialite turned um, politician and then freedom fighter. Wait, is this the, the, that patron saint of cats? No, this is not St. Gertrude. <laughs> no. Um, Count, Countess Constant Markovitz, a socialite who'd traded gowns and balls for gorillas and bullets. She, um, the, the date is Dublin, 1916. Several British officers were, as was tradition when occupying territories less than friendly with Britain, blithely enjoying lunch without a care in the world. Because it's Britain. Fucking colonizers. They don't care. If you're, if you're not Norman English, you're a lesser being. If you're not a wasp, you're second class. Um, suddenly their meal was, was given an extra bit of local garnish, shards of glass falling into their plates from windows shattered by gunfire. <laughs> 
Ducking for cover, the officers pulled out revolvers and began shooting in the direction of their opponents, only for the British gunfire to be returned expertly by a woman who would come to bedevil their every moment. Um, Weeks later, during her military trial, a young man would describe her assault on British officers to the court. And again, she responded with blistering firepower. Browbeating the witness into tears, she savaged his testimony until he recanted and changed his statement. All the while, she dared the officers around her to shoot her. Years later, she'd become Ireland's first elected female politician while incarcerated. She preferred the time title Madame Markovitz to Countess. She was born Constance Gore Booth, and she didn't even marry a rich noble person. She married a dude she met in art school. Just also <laughs> happened to be a count. She married, a, so you know she did. She did everything wrong according to her bougie parents. She married a poor guy. Bourgeois. Bougie. I'm speaking to the children. <laughs> bougie. <laughs> the old fuck is speaking. Her um, parents were landlords. She refused to marry for many years, and then she went to art school and met this broke fucker. After a peculiar courtship that saw Casimir. Dual men who'd insulted her, the two married. I mean, how could you not? During their wedding vows, she rather rather notably admitted the part about obeying her husband. She wasn't. It was soon clear uh, Constance wasn't cut out to be a wife or mother. Her daughter Meve, as she grew up, was raised by her grandmother instead of Constance, to the point where when the two met as adults, they didn't recognize each other. Similarly, Constance and Casimir's relationship cooled significantly in the years after their wedding. The root case of both areas of neglect was constant finding her one true love, Ireland. That was for St. Patrick's Day yesterday. Yes, this is specifically for St. Patrick's Day because fuck the British. Everything they touch, they turn to shit. Show me somewhere in history where the British have done something good first. They'll do a lot of good after to make up for the fact that they fucked shit up and ruined people. But when they show up, they're there to take your stuff. Um, At the time, Ireland was in rough shape. Centuries of war with and neglect from Britain hadn't done the nations any favors. Tax and rent money largely went to England instead of being invested in Ireland, thus resulting in recurrent crises of poverty, plague, and famine. Potato famine? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a deliberately caused by Britain because they're assholes. This extended visit from the apocalyptic horseman quartet understandably cheesed off many of the Irish, and they began to form secret groups devoted to self-rules. She was not welcome with open arms because the malcontents of Irish society, our largely working class folk, eyed the smartly dressed countess with suspicion and outright antipathy. Only through many years of effort did she earn their trust. She stopped standing during God Save the King. She started giving speeches urging outright rebellion. She started a youth training camp that taught boys to shoot the British and taught the shooting herself. She soon became an icon of sorts for women of the rebellion. When asked fashion advice, she told women to dress suitably in short skirts and strong boots, leave your jewels in the bank, and buy a revolver. In later parades, she showed up so heavily armed that the casual onlooker might readily be part might be readily pardoned for mistaking her for the representative of an enterprising firm of small arms manufacturers. During one notable procession of the English king through town, she waved a black flag in protest amidst a sea of the king's supporters. One royalist showed his, showed his disapproval by hitting her on the back with his Union Jack flag only for the stick holding the flag to abruptly break in two across her shoulders. She was involved in the Easter Rebellion. This is some dark shit. We've already covered dark shit, so I'm skipping a lot of how we got there. Um, there's lots of songs about it. Um, but it was it was nasty, and it was vicious, and it's heartbreaking. 
Um, during the early rebellion, Constance was everywhere, nursing, sewing a rebel flag, and delivering messages as one of the highest ranking members of the rebellion. Soon into the conflict, she settled into her role as a sniper. Holed up at the College of Royal Surgeons, she spent the majority of the Easter Rebellion on the rooftop, shooting at royalists at the nearby Shelburne Hotel. The rebellion was ill-fated. The English overwhelmed the isolated and soon starving pockets of rebels with superior numbers, training, and equipment. A week in, the rebel leadership spread the order to surrender. Upon receiving word of this, Constant turned herself in with maximum theatricality, gently kissing her gun before handing it over and declaring, I am ready. With, while many of her cohorts were executed by firing squad, her, executed, her execution was commuted to life in prison. It was an act of mercy she met with fury. Why didn't they let me die with my friends? She was not to stay in jail long. In brutally executing swaths of Irish citizens, pacifists, and civilians who had nothing to do with the rebellion, the British turned the tide against them. In the span of several years, opinion had swayed so heavily that Constance and many of her cohorts were released. This was not a universally popular call, though, and she was to be reincarcerated, reincarcerated regularly, regularly, often with little to no specific cause. Um, she was guilty of being Irish in public. Each time she exited prison, time and Irish society seemed to skip forward rapidly. During one of her stays, she was even elected to Parliament, making her, at the time, only one of the only female politicians in office anywhere in the world. This is when Sinn Féin had taken a majority of the Parliament seats and set about establishing an Irish Republic separate from Britain. And it just goes into how shitty the British are and how amazing she is. Please read the full article. Um, that's uh, part of our, our double dip for St. Patrick's Day. Um, the other one is Boudicca. If you don't know who Boudicca is, we're going to link the article. She's fucking amazing. She whooped the shit out of the of the Romans. Um, she the killed made- 70,000 people. <laughs> she just murdered Burnt Romans. London to the ground. So, yes. That's that's metal. 70,000 people, London to the ground. I mean, here's the Iceni, the her, her clan. Um, the, um, in the uprising, they would cut the breasts off of noble Roman noble women, sew them to their mouths, and hang the bodies or mounted them on spears. The Essene decapitated people as a matter of religious principle. They'd embalm the heads of their enemies and mount them on chariots. The rest were thrown into rivers. Moreover, a prominent Roman historian wrote, all this ruin was brought upon the Romans by a woman, a fact which in itself caused them the greatest shame. Really, when you're rude, when you're Rome and you're rude to women, shitty things happen. Uh, yeah, Cleopatra Philippator sort of fucked them over really hard, and it took all of their attention to stop her. Um, also, don't be racist about um, the taking of heads, because it happens in other cultures. Um, unless you're using your religion as a weapon, and you're doing it for shock value, fuck you. You know who I'm talking about. Yep. Fuck them, they're dicks. I think that's a good wrapping up, fuck them, they're dicks. Okay, because I've got some... <laughs> I, there are other cool women. We'll provide links to them in the show notes. Uh, we'll throw something up on the blog because there's too many badass women in politics that nobody's taught about throughout history. There's too many badass women through history. We do this. We do this all the time. Uh, yeah, this could just be a podcast where I go through and I research badass women and am excited about them. But there's other shit to talk about. I mean, next month is April. What is April? Is it Domestic Violence Awareness Month? I don't know the months. I barely know. If we're still, yeah, I barely know what day it is. Um, <laughs> if we're alive in April, we'll be pivoting to. In April, it'll be, tw- it'll be twenty thirty, and. 
yeah, we'll figure out what's going on when that happens. <laughs> so, what t- t- what type of woman do you want to look into next week? Uh, I mean, we could just do a part two on this because we didn't get into <laughs> um, Fulan Devi, who fucking amazing. There's a few women that we've brought up in our notes that I want to go through and research more and make yes. more sense of it because there are a few things I'm like, holy shit, but this doesn't make sense reading it right off the page. I need more input. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got some homework to do then. You can write a whole bunch of blog posts. You're like, hey, these women were extra, just what the fuck, amazing. So you, you did homework and you write a little bit more about them and share some links <laughs> and why you were excited as a dude who you know is excited to learn about women. Um, I'd rather talk about it because I'm doing too much writing in my writing. Wah. Hey, I, I'm going to give because this is actually going to go public. It's not going to be cut for Patreon for this. I'm going to give credit to my professor in this course. She is actually making me earn every single point of my grade. Good. Unlike, unlike every other professor that I've had, who basically well, you, you made them cry. Let's be honest, you made them cry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. I probably made at least one of them cry. But I only have a B in this class. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I respect this. And I can't I couldn't be happier with my B. So <laughs> So hopefully we will all be alive and well next time we go through and record. So one more thing I want to go through, if you want us to talk about anything particular. Write us at xchromosomepodcast.com. That email address again is write us at xchromosomepodcast.com. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Yeah, especially if you have ideas for next week, because otherwise I'm just going to continue to shriek in delight about these badass women um, shamelessly. We were going to scream like, about my job. We were going to do a woman in fiction po- for this month, but. We may have a guest uh, that will be talking about writing women At for a, next month. Um, yeah, a guest or two. We might do a couple of extra recordings and then splice something together. It depends on how comfortable everybody is giving uh, in a, like a roundtable. Um, all right, get on that. <laughs> yeah, the guests I have in mind are all independent authors. So if I can get them all on... Uh, it would be super awesome if everybody bought their books because their cons are canceling. Yeah. And again, not to, not to shill things for free, but I'm not inviting people on. Right. Not cool shit. Pretty much. So it will be worth throwing money at, but I have to figure out why my new son is screaming. Why are you screaming? I don't know if you can hear him, but he's yelling. The <laughs> void is yelling into the void. Maybe we'll put a trip on the void. Yeah. So that being said, with the now that oh, the void we is didn't yelling, do we didn't do like subscribe rate like like subscribe rate and review. So let's um, do that. So like a, like subscribe rate review on your favorite podcast platform on Facebook. Um, if you guys come through and we actually see some, I will in fact post pictures of the new void boy when you write your review. We would prefer you give us actual feedback through our email address. Give us suggestions of names for this new cat. Um, He is a black cat and he has green eyes and he's very snuggly. 
but we can't name him Mimikyu. We have a Mimikyu already. So name Noel's cat. Name my cat in your review. <laughs> Give throw me suggestions before I go to you know cat lady crazy cat lady group. Even crazier ones. That being said, my name is Bill and I am not a crazy cat lady. My name is Noelle and I am here to assure you that crazy cat lady is the state of being. It is not a relationship status. And we all have an extra zone. Get out. Goodbye, Craig. You failed us. You failed us for the last time. Where's the damn channel? God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. We're so bad at this. This is the worst outro. But hey, you're getting it raw and uncut instead of just me screaming, Craig, get out, Craig, get out, until we cut it perfectly. Um, you're getting us babbling meaninglessly. But seriously, turn it off. Kick the bot. How can you not find the... We All Have an X Chromosome is an XChromosomePodcast.com production. Executive producers are Noel Dial and Bill Malvesi. Executive Director, Bill Malvesi. Associate Technical Director, Huey Algool. Associate News Director, Brian Grimes. Music by Alpha Riff. Hosted by Noel Dial and Bill Malvesi.